Someone wants to know, can you make the case for Boise State since they're usually one of the best Mountain West teams and almost always competitive against other Pac-12 schools? Why, yes, I can. Let's go. Our Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with our beloved Conference of Champions. Please continue to like, comment, subscribe wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, helping you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash Locked On College. That's LinkedIn.com slash Locked On College to post your job for free terms and conditions do indeed apply. That's my man Eric Rubino asking that question. Rubino? Rubino? I think it's Rubino, so I'm going to roll with that. Let me know if it is not. And so it is time once again to introduce representing the plaintiff, Spencer C. McLaughlin Esquire. Shout out to one of you for that little idea. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, your honor, spectators, watching virtually or in person. May it please the court, and I present to you the case for the Broncos of Boise State. Many opposing counsels have wandered through the halls of this very courtroom and presented to you a variety of arguments why their programs, why their schools, institutions, and teams are best fit to join the Pac-12. And one consistent theme that has been brought up Amongst all of those different arguments, one underlying thing that is always relevant when adding team from a group of five level is pedigree. It's pedigree. Would it intrigue you to know? Perhaps it may. Perhaps it not. I'll share it with you anyway. Boise State has won five of their last eight games against Pac-12 schools. They currently play in the Mountain West. And Boise State has lost their last two games to Pac-12 schools, actually. And they haven't even been at their best. And still, they can boast a stat that few Group of Five teams in the country can hold up and make a claim to fame about. And that is a winning record over their last eight tries against the conference that might be considering them. Boise State is a program, a very proud football program, an institution that has continued to strive to be great on the gridiron. And we are seeing that start to escalate in the basketball sense as well. More on that coming later in today's arguments. But let's talk about standards. Because when the Pac-12 adds a new team, standards are important. The standards that exist within the institution, within the football program, the community, the players, the fans, everybody involved, the standards that they set will determine how successful they can one day be playing in the Conference of Champions. Boise State won a bowl game this year. Boise State went 10-4 and this year. Boise State was in the Mountain West Conference title game this year. 
I dare you to find a single Boise State fan who was fully content with that season. Should Boise State get the call to make the jump to Power 5, the standards would continue to persist because that's the sort of culture, that's the sort of momentum that the program has built up over the last decade and change, just about 20 years or so, since they have become, arguably, the premier group of five football brand west of the Mississippi. When you think of Boise State, you go back to one of the greatest college football games this beautiful, wonderful sport has ever seen. You go back to New Year's Day, 2007. Ian Johnson on the Statue of Liberty. The hook and ladder on 4th and 18. They were not playing some run-of-the-mill upstart program. They were playing Bob Stoops' Oklahoma Sooners. And the standard for Boise State football over the last couple of seasons is below where the expectations are for the fan base, for the community, and the people inside that building. And still, as the results have faltered off, the wins continue to be there. Should they jump to the Pac-12, there would be no complacency. There would be no acceptance of mediocrity. There would be nothing but striving to be better and better and better. Now, moving on, we are all aware that in this expansion conversation, viewership is paramount. You've heard that many a times from other councils or similar sounding councils who have come through this very courtroom and made the case for their institutions. Now, it is true and not something that I will attempt to hide here, lest I be accused of being dishonest. That Boise, as a city, and the state of Idaho in general, are not the most populous cities or states that could be considered for the openings that have been created by way of USC and UCLA leaving the Pac-12. Though they are not the most populous, it does not mean the viewership potential does not exist. This is an important factor to consider because TV viewership is one of the biggest things the Pac-12 is losing, is it not? USC and UCLA this year were two of the three most watched programs in the conference. They're right there, up at the top. You have to find a team. As jury members considering an expansion team into the Pac-12, who can draw the most viewers possible. And Boise State this year, despite not living in a major metropolitan area area or a highly populated state, the brand power of Boise State remains strong. Not strong like Rufus Scrimgeour declared in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1, shortly before the Ministry of Magic fell. No, no, no. The brand is strong. In 2022, according to Medium, Boise State averaged, playing in the Mountain West, mind you, not in the Pac-12, in the Mountain West, where they had games against the likes of UNLV, not a lot of momentum, Hawaii, 
Air Force, Utah State, Colorado State, brands that don't have a lot of national appeal. Imagine what would happen if you put Boise State on the same TV as Washington or Oregon or Stanford or any of the other ones. They averaged this year 353,000 viewers per game. That may not sound like a lot, but it is more than you think. I will lay out why that number is more than you think. You could find more job seekers who are qualified for your position, whatever that opening may be, if you were to check out LinkedIn Jobs. Because LinkedIn Jobs knows that as a small business owner or hiring manager, success in 2023 depends on the team members you surround yourself with. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you quickly attract qualified candidates to your open jobs with targeting tools. They go beyond resume data by using insights from your job post, company, and their 875 million member profiles to put your post in front of the most qualified candidates. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Spencer C. McLaughlin, Esquire, returning from a brief one-minute recess to resume oral arguments concerning the Boise State Broncos. That number, an average of 353,000 viewers per game this season, was more on average than two institutions that are already part of the Conference of Champions. More than Colorado, more than Arizona State. And as it pertains to the peers Boise State will undoubtedly be compared to, SMU or San Diego State, Fresno State, all programs that have been mentioned at one time or another right here in this very courtroom, in front of you, the members of the jury. This year, Boise State averaged over 100,000 more viewers per game than Fresno State or San Diego State. They also outviewed SMU this year. That speaks to the brand power of Boise State because people remember that Fiesta Bowl. People remember their two subsequent Fiesta Bowl victories. The next question you may ask, is Boise State a fit in the Pac-12? Well, for starters, geographically, <laughs> it's a home run. It already borders three states that have institutions that are members of this prestigious conference. Utah, Washington, Oregon, all border the state of Idaho. Geography is of no concern. And I would like to take you back many a years ago, about 13, about the time things really started to get moving, when an expansion team was considered from the Mountain West and ultimately added in the Utes of Utah, who, might I remind you, are the two-time defending conference champions and have made four such appearances in the conference title game since they joined in 2011. The Utes, who prior to their joining the Pac-12 and making the G5 to P5 jump, had won two major bowl games, a BCS or a New Year's Six, the Sugar Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl. Boise has thrice 
captured a Fiesta Bowl crown. The visibility and understanding of what the program is capable of is widely understood in the college football landscape. People know that Boise State won that Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma. They probably even know that they won two more. They've won several other bowl games since then. They have consistently been a competitive program, and people notice. And I'll just sprinkle this on top. This is not the main dish, but if I made a beautiful pasta entree in front of you, you might put a little cilantro or a little parmesan on top, depending on what that particular dish is. I need not go down a food rabbit hole because I could go down that rabbit hole for a long, long time. But Boise State plays on a a turf field that you may have seen. I probably didn't even have to say what color it is because you already knew. It's a little thing. It's not game-changing. But when you're trying to get people to watch or know what your program is about or have a way to identify your program, the blue turf is there. And lastly... A very fair question to ask, can the men's basketball program help provide value to a league using two consistently NCAA tournament caliber programs in USC and UCLA? Can they provide some value by getting into the tournament? But of course, of course. Now, the men's basketball history is not as rich as football. But need I remind you of what took place in 2022, what is taking place this year? With the Boise State men's basketball program, they're off to an excellent start in the Mountain West. A highly competitive group of five mid-major conference in the basketball front. And it's a program in the Broncos that feels that they are on the rise, not in decline. They were an NCAA tournament participant a year ago. And they ran into a buzzsaw of an eight seed in Memphis, and they ultimately fell in the first round in a highly competitive game. But the potential to get there is very, very real. The brand of Boise State is very strong. The viewership numbers this year, above that of several peers that have been considered here in the courtroom. Geographically, a home run fit. Men's basketball seems to be on the rise, continues to be a point of emphasis. And the dedication perhaps most importantly, for the football program to succeed exists at an institutional level in a way that warrants serious consideration for the Broncos of Boise State. Thank you, and I yield my time. I'm not even close to done with those segments, by the way, because you keep asking for them. And by the way, I'm here for it. I'm totally here for it. There's a lot of other, I'm going to get to Air Force this week at some time, which is a very, very interesting team. Because one of you asked about that, send me any expansion candidate you want, and I will give them the full run through. And like any good lawyer would, I will represent them in court to the best of my ability. On a personal note here, this is not Spencer C. McLaughlin Esquire. This is just Spencer McLaughlin. I would love to add Boise because... I do think what I talked about there in my opening argument, the brand power that exists for them, I think gives them a pretty solid ceiling for achieving success in the Pac-12. I think you compare them to Utah and say, well, what exactly did 
Utah have when they join that Boise State doesn't have? The answer is a slightly bigger city. That's the biggest drawback for Boise here because their brand does get them a good amount of viewership. And I, I think their viewership would be even more solid if you put them on, on TV against Pac-12 opponents instead of just the Mountain West. But it feels like from a media viewership perspective, because of the size of the population of Idaho and the population of Boise itself, there's a little bit of a ceiling on it. But to me, I look at them and say, based on the numbers we saw them put up this year on the TV front, they could have a higher floor than some of the other expansion candidates. Ceiling might be a little capped, but man, I don't know. The mo- Here's another argument for Boise State on the TV viewership front. The most watched team in the Pac-12 over the last several seasons, including this, this most recent one, has been Oregon. And Oregon exists in Eugene, Oregon. <laughs> I've been to Eugene many a times. It's not exactly what you would call a major metropolitan area. Now, they do tap into the Portland market as well, but that's not as large as Seattle. So it's not strictly about the size of the city. That plays a factor. There's, there's no doubt about that. Plays a factor. But I think Oregon is an interesting comparison in how you can kind of outperform the market that you are in from a TV viewership standpoint. Because think about you know what Oregon was 25, 30 years ago. They were a program just trying to get to the Rose Bowl game that was still a relatively small and not super well-known nationally football brand. They were starting to get there with Rich Brooks. Then Bilotti took over and, and things soared. But I'd have to go back and crunch all the numbers. I think their viewership went up, 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 and they ascended at or near the top of the conference really just before 2010 when Chip Kelly got there. That's when people really started to pay attention more than they had before. Now, they were ascending, and that took a lot of time, but I still think that could be a solid argument for Boise State and say, well, wait a minute. The, the, the population of Oregon is not that big. The population of Eugene is smaller than Boise, I'm pretty sure. Like, it's it, it's an argument. It I, I think there's a solid argument there. The energy, the competitiveness, I think that all works in Boise's favor. The, the question that will come up with Boise State and going into the Pac-12, number one, how the conference views the, the media market importance and having you know a bigger geographical footprint uh, to come from. Number two, how they'd be able to recruit, and that's you know more of an in-house problem. I, again, I, I think the brand of Boise is solid enough, but like Colorado, who struggled a lot, you don't have a lot of recruits recruits right in your backyard. You've got basically none out of the state of Idaho. You have to do all out-of-state recruiting, and that can be very hard, but. Oregon's become very good at recruiting as well. And guess what? They don't have a lot of good players coming out of the state of Oregon. So it's a potential drawback. I don't think it's, you know, a a major thorn in their side, something to consider. But another thing, academically, my understanding, and I'm not, you know, I would love to just consider this all in a football sense. It's a little bit more than that. Academically, I don't know if Boise meets the PAC's quote-unquote standards, I don't know that the Arizona institutions are exactly known for their premier academics. They have other value, other ways to bring value to the conference. 
but that that's something that would be considered and probably wouldn't work based on what I know, which again, honestly, is not that much. I know more about football than anything else. That's why we're talking about it here on the show. That's something that could potentially work against them. Speaking of expansion and adding teams. Craig Kirsch asks via YouTube, as you can as well, either on there or on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore Pac-12, always to answer or get a question answered here on the show. I love answering your questions because you guys come up with really, really fantastic questions. I, I looked at this, Craig, and I, I, I did as much digging as I could. He said, Spencer, I have a question regarding expansion. What are the PAC bylaws in expanding? Is it simple majority, three-fourths, or unanimous consent? Is it, Are there even enough votes to approve two more teams? I still question whether Cal, Stanford, and Washington would want to add anyone else. If they can convince two more, that ends any hope. Do you know the answer? Thanks. This is not, I did call the Pac-12 offices and left a message, but they didn't call me back, unfortunately, uh, which means the show isn't big enough. So like and subscribe if you haven't, uh, if you haven't already got to get the show out there. But my understanding is that they need at least three fourths, but for the most part, uh, it, it, it's definitely not a simple majority. I, I know that that is the case. I believe the answer is three fourths, but there's kind of an unspoken rule about how you know, they go forward and it's, it, it doesn't technically have to be unanimous is what I've come to understand, but it's unlikely that you would go forward if you didn't have everybody at least somewhat on board. Now, the interesting thing here is the, the schools he mentioned, Stanford, Cal, Washington, which of the remaining 10 are definitely the, the most premier academic institutions I could see them joining up and saying, no, we don't want someone like Boise State, you know, or, or someone else who doesn't meet our academic standards, right? I could definitely see that. Another team that that should be considered for is Fresno State, specifically with Stanford and Cal, which if they're not able to get to the Big Ten, which seems pretty unlikely, and now the Big Ten is going to bring in a new commissioner, so it seems even less likely, I wonder if Stanford and Cal would raise their hands in a meeting and say, we don't want Fresno State, we are the NorCal teams, and we don't want to add another one, but we're okay with San Diego State because they are SoCal. There could be advantages and disadvantages to that, but when he asked this question, I think that's a very legitimate thought. And and as for you know, whether or not teams would expand more generally. If I'm a Pac-12 president and just looking at it through a football lens, like let's say everything else checks out and you're just down to, is this going to be a good ad for football and men's basketball, which are the primary decision makers here? I would not want to be in a conference that is perceived to be way behind the other leagues and though you're still going to take a hit in terms of how the rest of the country views you no matter what with USC and UCLA leaving, I think there's more to be gained by adding programs who could one day bring in, in value to the conference. And you never know, right? Like if if you add the right program and they find the right coach and the right group of players and they have a good season, they could be a conference contender in just a few years. And that would help alter the perception for the better, right? If you added, let's say, 
San Diego State, and, and SMU, who I think are two of the top candidates here. Let's say SMU in three years got to a conference championship game. That would reflect well on the Pac-12 because then people would see, would have the opportunity, number one, to watch SMU play. But then the other thing too is if you have a team that is already competing for a conference championship, then you'll have a lot of people across the country say, oh, well, you know, they've at least gotten some of that capability back. With, with these new teams, rather than just standing pat at 10, plus the potential for them to bring in more value and make the next media rights deal, not this current one. I mean, I mean, maybe this current one, but you know, they'll, they'll be a partial, partial member, whoever they are financially for, for a few years anyway. So you have the potential to add a team that could really increase the value of the conference, and then your school could end up getting more money annually down the line. So I'd be inclined, obviously you want to you know do a vetting process, not just add anybody here, but I think you would want to be very open to that possibility. That That's that's my initial take on that. But that's a great question. And again, I believe it, it is three-fourths. Um, if some of you can do some digging on the internet, I, I dug as hard as I could and I just, I couldn't find the Pac-12 bylaws. I'm also not that technologically savvy, which is super ironic for someone in my line of work, but that's the way that, uh, that's the way that it is. But good, good question, Craig. Uh, and great question, Eric, as well, asking about Boise State. Okay. I want to wrap up with this thought and it, it's a transfer portal note. The portal is closed for now. It'll reopen in the spring. An Oregon State needs to have one priority in particular, maybe two now that Omar Spates went to LSU, which is a bummer, but he had an awesome career with Oregon State too. They need a number one wide receiver. And I talked about this a little bit in the context of look at what Treshawn Harrison was. He literally won you a game and that you know helped keep momentum going in conference play. Like that was a season altering moment for Oregon State. And having that sort of caliber of wide receiver is exactly why for those sorts of moments. Here's the other reason Oregon State needs to have a true number one. You're trying to make DJU more comfortable than he was at Clemson. Go watch Clemson's offense this year. They didn't have a true number one. They didn't have, you know, a Justin Ross or a T. Higgins or any of these other guys we've seen over the years he didn't have that sort of relationship with anyone. He didn't have sort of a, a safety blanket, which can be a really comforted, comforting thing for a quarterback. He's not going to be asked to throw the ball as much as he was at Clemson. But still, I think allowing for the possibility of developing a rapport, a dynamic with a number one wide receiver, giving him that in addition to a stronger running game and asking less of him, all builds towards making him a more confident, capable football player, which at the end of the day is what we're doing here, if you're Oregon State, right? Like that that's what you're trying to do. Get the most out of him without asking him to do too much. And I think having a guy who can be a thousand yard receiver, even in a run happy offense, is something that Oregon State should really, really be looking at in the transfer portal. Now maybe they've got a guy in the room who they feel can make that sort of jump, but I look at a team like Utah this year, which is Oregon State's comp, by the way. I mean, they do everything basically the same. The only difference is Smith came from the offensive side of the ball, Whittingham from the defense, but they they do like everything the same. 
defensively driven, run game, play action, pro style, know exactly what they are. Devon Bailey was the number one receiver. Or, well, Dalton Kincaid really was was the number one receiver. And compare Utah's weapons this year or over the last couple of seasons with guys like Britton Covey and Brant Keithy compared to what Oregon State has had. And I think that's one area where the Beavs are lacking to make that jump to where they're a Utah caliber program, at least on the offensive side of the ball. So I continue to reiterate that that should be an option. If you got any questions about that or anything else, just let me know. Appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time and have a wonderful rest of your day.